the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW and IR Radio Station. Welcome in. Rob Black and Your Money. You can always find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show. Let's bring in Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist, Briefing.com. Mr. Rosen, how are you? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. You got a Twitter handle, or that's not for you? No, I've never gotten into the uh, the Twitter life yet. <laughs> you know what it's incredibly useful for is finding, aggregating a ton of other people's ideas. So I can like flash through 500 business stories, including Briefing.coms, in one minute versus going to like 500 different sites. So you, it may be useful for you to, you know, find like the Fed Reserve, you know, tweets. Maybe not. Yeah, I get them on RSS feeds. So I still get the, I get emails on a lot of things that, that are normally sent out via Twitter. So I, I don't think I'm missing too much. We have, um, you know, a lot of our analysts use Twitter throughout the day, you know, like what you said, to, to get aggregated information across different news sources. We use it to confirm um, economic news when it comes out, so like what the uh, headline number is and, and stuff like that. So I mean, it is definitely useful. Okay. Um, let's talk about the economic reports that we're seeing today, and then I'm going to throw a curveball at you later. Headline durable orders looks like a, a mixed message. What, what do you see in those numbers? Um, I just see ugliness. I see, you know, you, you had a headline surprise. It was all as a result of Boeing. There was some confusion um, among consensus forecasters on whether there'd be a big um, negative uh, seasonal adjustment factor on the Boeing numbers, which would reduce the the impact of aircraft uh, on the headline, which is why uh, you only had a one percent gain instead of a, you know, instead of the two percent gain that you saw. Take out Boeing, take out the aircraft, you're you know, only up 0.2%. You look at business capital, demand for it is still weak. Uh, negative orders number, you had a, a slight positive shipments, which is good for GDP because GDP is, is based on um, production and not just you know, future orders demand. So we saw a little bit of uh, manufacturers producing goods that consumers wanted or, or manufacturers wanted. The question is, you know, is this going to continue? And if you look at the history, it doesn't seem so. And, and we've been looking at a, a statistic that's not really publicized. It's um, if you take the unfilled orders, the change in the unfilled orders with the change in shipments and uh, new inventories that were produced. So basically this gives you a ratio of back orders to total production. And you get a really big uh, ratio right now, which means that there's a lot of stockpiles in terms of back orders that manufacturers simply aren't producing, and there's no real reason why. You know, you would expect that, you know, as soon as an order comes in, 
especially since we know they have the capacity, they would go out and produce, but that's not happening. So either manufacturers believe that these orders will be canceled at some future date, so they are not making them, or, you know, they, they just don't want to make them. They, they don't have the, you know, even though they, they claim to have the capacity, they don't really have the capacity. So the question is, which is that? And to me, it's more of they feel that orders are going to be canceled and don't want to get ahead of production. This is an obvious softball question, I think. I'm not sure. But higher interest rates, we all know, will affect mortgage costs. People will be able to afford less mortgage. It will affect borrowing costs for corporations. They'll be able to do less return on investment. They'll be able to buy back fewer shares. Uh, you know, we know that. Um, how about interest rates on, like, durable goods numbers? Do you factor that in where you will go, okay, we're at a, a 10-year treasury of – three and a half that's going to hurt housing starts or am I overthinking this? No, you're thinking exactly what it what it is. I mean I, I don't know if I'd necessarily relate durable goods to housing starts, but um, you know, you you relate to the interest rate to demand for capital. I mean if your interest rate goes up your you know, the return has to be higher in order to justify the investment. And you know, right now that hasn't been the case even though interest rates have been at zero. So one thing that we've noticed so far is that um, consumers are not rushing out for durables. So the low interest rates haven't been as attractive to consumers to go out and buy, let's say, um, dishwashers or, you know, stuff like that. And we're nearing, we're not exactly, but we're, we're getting closer to the usable age of these goods. So... You know, consumers are going to have to buy out of necessity soon, so they may get a shock because they're going to be buying into uh, when prices are on the on the rise, as opposed to today, where prices remain relatively low, given where the uh, the Fed is still involved in QE. But you know, if, if QE ends at the end of the year, like everybody suggests, and if rates start to rise, where the market expects in April of next year, uh, the consumer is going to be the one that's going to be hurting the most because they're going to be buying into the these higher costs. Where, are there any other economic data points today that are important or any coming up that you're eyeballing? Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the income and spending data comes out at the end of the week. Um, you had a fairly decent retail sales report, and we're going to see if um, a lot of the, the weakness in retail sales, why, why we see a much stronger report, is if the, uh, the weather conditions forced households to spend more on utilities. So we'll get an idea of how uh, the shock will be in, in terms of, uh, you know, gas prices, natural gas prices, not necessarily gasoline prices are on uh, the consumer. And then next week we get another uh, employment report. You know, you get another look at to see how much, uh, you know, the economy was affected by weather and how much it wasn't. You know, we're in the camp that, that weather wasn't a big problem. We expect... Um, the employment report to show about 185,000, which is what the initial claims level uh, suggests, which is kind of what we've been seeing, you know, on average over the last 12 months. So that's really going to see if there was a, if you have a big spike, it, you know, it might signal that some of the weakness, you know, came because employers did not have people on payroll from weather. But I don't expect that to happen. Where do you stand, or do you stand at all, on earned income tax credits versus a higher minimum wage to help the low end of our economy? It's a difficult um, 
it's a very difficult measure to evaluate. Um, one is getting money up front. One is getting money, you know, at, at the back end, especially if you're going to get refunds. Um, it's one of those things that theoretically should do the same thing uh, in terms of, you know, elevating the poor out of poverty. Uh, I, I would probably be, if I'm going to stand on one side, I'd be with the earned income credits. I think that it's probably less a factor on overall labor market conditions because I think that it targets better, and I think it prevents um, companies from bearing the uh, the brunt of the financial problem. Uh, the flip side, though, is if you have to raise taxes elsewhere to pay for those earned income credits, then everybody's getting hit you know, with lower income to support that. So it's still a redistribution no matter which way you look at it. The question is, is it the company that's paying for it or is it the public in general? I bring that up in large part. I live in a very affluent part of the world, San Francisco, Bay Area, and our poor, they're getting a lot more noticeable. Um, and sometimes they look like families that, you know, people can't live off $77,000. They're poor here. Poverty is defined as, you know, family of four, 77,000, San Jose. Um, I don't have a statement other than that. Are you seeing more poor people? Are you seeing more wealth than the haves and have-nots? Well, you're definitely seeing an increase in the inequality. I mean, that's been okay. going on for for decades. I mean, you see a stagnant uh, median wage, but you see larger aggregate uh wealth. So how is that possible? Well, it goes to the extremes. So, you know, in the end, you're having a bigger group of population that is uh, falling on harder times today um, just due to inflationary pressures over the last, you know, 20, 30 years compared to, uh, you know, what's going on. And that makes a difference. Anything else you want to add to this conversation? Anything else you want to add economically? I mean, I still think that there is a lot of questions surrounding is inequality necessarily bad for the economy or is inequality bad for social reasons. And that's two distinctly different uh, viewpoints. And the reasons behind supporting, you know, current system in place or allocating towards more redistribution is, you know, it's an argument that, is not easily solved. And if you are trying to make it on an economic viewpoint, you know, I think you're going to have difficulties. So advocating for a higher minimum wage, for example, as an economic reason might be a difficult justification uh, where it may be more of a social reason. And, and the question then is, how much of the social problem do you want to pay for? And that's the economic cost. Thanks very much. That's Dr. Jeff Rosen. Uh, ChiefEconomistBriefing.com clearly briefing has a lot to offer. Uh, they provide independent live market analysis of the U.S. and international equity markets. Uh, it's still a website, but um, also you can follow them at hashtag briefing.com. Briefing com. No, it's briefing.com. So their hashtag dots don't work for some reason, so it's briefing.com. But uh, you can follow Dr. Jeff Rosen and a lot of the publishings that they do, uh, a lot of their articles. Come straight out of their company, go to Twitter and various news feeds out there. It's a really great organization, and I can't say enough positives. They're not paying me, and I can't say enough positives. Um, great insight. Hopefully you appreciate it. Learn more by going to briefing.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.